Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rand Show on AM 770 KTTH streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. Hours after leaving prison, a 33-year-old man is back in jail for killing a woman in Lake Taps. And this time, his sentence is very light. That is what's trending. What's trending? Crime. Jason Arnold just got out of prison. Serving a sentence for attempted assault, tampering with a witness out in King County. He's a prolific offender, of course. It feels like the only criminals we talk about at this point are prolific offenders. He has five other prior felony convictions. He's got a federal conviction for drug crimes. This all according to the Tacoma News Tribune. And a day after he gets out of jail, he kills a woman. This was last year. He killed a woman after some argument about a stolen gun. It's a little unclear what that argument was about from a nitty-gritty standpoint. We just know it was about a gun that happened to be stolen. And Jason Arnold apparently was with this woman at her home. He was going to live there until he found an apartment of his own. Because obviously he just comes out of jail. It's not easy. But instead of just getting along, they end up arguing over a stolen Beretta 9mm. The argument turns into a struggle. The struggle results in the gun going off, shooting this woman in the torso. Pierce County Sheriff's Department Deputy Darren Moss was on the scene when this happened last March. Our deputies arrived on scene and found a woman down in the street. They administered first aid to her and got her rushed off to the hospital right away. Unfortunately, that 33-year-old woman passed away. Now, again, unclear why they were arguing, but an interesting detail, I think, in all of this was the attorney said they couldn't trust what Jason Arnold had told them because, again, according to the Tacoma News Tribune, quote, he has a long history of diagnosed mental health conditions, including bipolar and schizoaffective disorder. Now, according to a friend, Jason Arnold asked this woman, the victim, to get him a gun under her name, but she refused. So perhaps that was part of where this argument stemmed from. So at the time, he ends up getting charged. And ultimately, recently, he pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter and second-degree identity theft. That identity theft issue was from a different case out, I believe, in King County. Now, for this crime, the sentencing guidelines are between 17.6 years, so 17 years, 6 months, and 23 years, 4 months. And yet, somehow, he got a sentence of 13 years. Courtesy of Judge Joseph Evans. This is how our system works. And I want you to think about this. Now, I don't know Judge Evans. I don't know anything about his background. I don't know his politics. No clue. And if I'm being totally honest, I don't care. Because I've read the arguments in the Tacoma News Tribune about why this deserved a so-called exceptional sentence, exceptionally low. I read it. Okay. 
doesn't really make too much sense to me. It's not moving me to understand this. Apparently, the, the victim was high at the time and couldn't quite tell who pulled the trigger. But understand that this happened a day after a prolific offender was released from jail. This is a bad guy. This is a bad person. And all this light sentence means is that he's going to pose a risk to you and me somewhere between four and ten years sooner than he would have had he got the right sentence. And by the way, the chances of him spending 13 years in jail is very, very, very slim. He'll get time off for good behavior, undoubtedly, which is laughable. Or we'll end up putting him in some electronic home monitoring program so we can continue to depopulate the prisons. And then, of course, he'll likely commit another crime and we'll have this same conversation over and over and over again because we make the same dangerous decisions over and over and over again. And too few people will do anything about it. At least if we judge by the low number of regular voters that turn out for our elections. Too few people vote, which leads to unbelievably bad policy that gets passed, initiatives that get started, strategies that get adopted. And we get something like this. We get the criminal justice system that we deserve. And that's dangerous for us all. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Happening now. We're just getting word from Tacoma PD that at 246, so a little over 20 minutes ago or so, a detective was shot while on a call. The PIO, the public information officer, is getting the details as to what happened. Apparently, we have few details at this time. There have been no arrests. I'm hearing unofficially that he, this officer is at the hospital now. It was part of an emphasis mission. And the suspects or suspect is still part of an active investigation. We do know good news, according to Tacoma PD, is that the, te- the detective is in stable condition. So we don't know the extent of the gun injury. But if you're in stable condition, that's obviously very promising. So we're going to keep an eye on this because it just happened and the details haven't been released yet. We'll continue to monitor and we'll let you know when we get updated information. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending in King County? So it turns out that one of the victims in the mass shooting at that hookah lounge in Seattle over the weekend was the sister of a King County Council member's staffer. So a staff member to a King County Council member, Gurmay Zahilai, was the victim, a sister of that staff member. And I, I suppose this is a tragic bit of irony that it's a council member who has helped lead the way on the King County Council to go easy on criminals, to handcuff cops, defund cops. Of course, he he doesn't see it that way. He spoke with King Five. These are the good, kind, innocent people that we are losing to gun violence. She had nothing to do with any of these feuds. She 
was just an innocent bystander who happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. You're not losing these people to gun violence. Let's be very clear about that. You're losing these people to gang violence, gang members who use guns. And there is a difference because I would argue that the people who are using the guns have been enabled by people like that council member. That is the reality. As much as it might sting for him to hear that and as much as he doesn't want to acknowledge that, that is the truth. We have a whole bunch of people who have been enabled, emboldened, whatever word you want to use by folks on the radical left that have decided to use their power to go after the police at the expense of our safety. To handcuff the police, pardon the lazy pun, making it so that they can't do their jobs, making it so that they leave the city or the county, go somewhere else where they're respected, or go somewhere else where their job isn't as dangerous as it is here. They know already going into this job, as we just found out in Tacoma with an officer getting shot, their job is already difficult enough, right? It's dangerous enough. But then to have laws passed or programs started, either on the county level or the state level, that go easy on criminals, you're making it an impossible job for anyone to want to take on. Now, in this case, the name of the victim is Nadia Casa. There have been no arrests yet. And as we reported on Monday, it was, in fact, gang violence. I feel like the epidemic of gun violence is reaching uh, a point of all out crisis. And I want everybody to know that we should have an all hands on deck response. Wow. All hands on deck. The epidemic of gun violence. Germai Zahilai is using the death of a staff member's sister as a meaningless bumper sticker talking point. To him, it's the gun. We have a, a gun violence epidemic. It's not the gang member who's using it. In fact, I, I, we first saw this story over at King 5. All the networks had it. All the local channels had it. This one was King 5. And I did a search of the text for the term gang. Nah, not mentioned. Not allowed to use the G word. I went over to the council member's Facebook page and he's got this very, very long statement. Doesn't use the term gang once. And if you're unwilling to admit what the problem is, guess what? You're going to keep getting the same kind of violence over and over and over again. And it's not just going to stay in Seattle. It spreads all over the place. And then, of course, once we get that violent act again, another shooting... We'll get another response basically saying the same thing. Something needs to be done while not actually doing anything because you've not addressed the issue. These people are uninterested in a real solution to the current crisis. He wants to ban guns. He wants to funnel more money to the nonprofits that he happens to like. Nonprofits that don't do anything, that don't work. While, of course, refusing to enable the cops to do their jobs. Instead of giving them funding, we're giving it to some restorative justice program that doesn't do anything. By the way, his statement does not mention police or law enforcement in any way, shape, or form. Weird how that works. And of course, this guy doesn't look in a mirror. They never do. They never ask themselves how they help to cause this crisis. He just continues to want to play hero. You see, he's working day and night to help. 
He's getting people together. You know, over the coming days, I'm going to come up with more solutions. More solutions? You don't have one. He seems to not realize that the crisis has gotten worse thanks to what he's been doing and saying this entire time. Not exclusively. It's not just his fault, of course. But he's a part of the issue. This is a guy who's a police defunder. He's a guy who helped establish CHOP or Chaz. He makes excuses for criminals. We don't invest enough in youth programs. Oh, okay, thanks. So it's not really the juvenile criminal's fault. We just didn't invest enough in an after-school basketball program or something. Got it. You see, it's certainly true, I think, that we don't invest enough in certain programs, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse for any of this, and I'm certainly not going to make that point while also not calling out the criminal. It shouldn't just be the people who represent the districts where this is happening. It shouldn't just be communities that are at risk for being shot or shooting that should be paying attention. Everybody needs to be paying attention to this issue. Empty your words or never spoken. <laughs> it's remarkable. Push the button. What's trending? Back the blue. Seattle Council Member Lisa Herbold, she is very excited. I don't know if you could tell by the smile and the giggles during this interview she did with something called City Inside Out. It's on the Seattle channel that no one watches, but we pretend is meaningful content, except every once in a while, I guess we pull a silly clip from it. But she announced the launch of this pilot program to get social workers to respond to 911 calls, certain 911 calls. And even though I think they're about two months late to start the process of hiring, they're they're finally here. They're finally ready to hire. Today, I'm really, really happy so to happy. report so that the city is hiring uh, for the six positions for wow. its first pilot Count alternate response um, team. It's going to be a, a way uh, for uh, 911 operators to uh, uh, dispatch calls to somebody okay. other than police, somebody other, other than, than fire, other um, than a uh, crisis responder Cri- okay. um, crisis who responder. is unarmed. Um, Oh, the police department will be aware of sense. the dispatch. Oh, they okay. may attend. They may uh, stage uh, nearby. Oh, or they close. just may have situational awareness. Oh, Each call is going to be different. Aware. But yeah. it's really exciting so that um, we're finally up and running yeah. uh, with hiring the folks who will be doing this really important work that we so have been important. working on since, uh, I think, August of 2020. Wow. You threw out a date there. Let me give you another date. June 22nd, 2002. So not too long ago, certainly not long ago that we should forget something, a story that was kind of a big deal at the time. Deputy Sheriff Richard Anthony Herzog, he was responding to a call in King County involving a naked man creating a disturbance. It was around five o'clock in the afternoon. He was in the middle of the road, apparently pounding on car windows interrupting the traffic but naked dude no weapon the exact kind of call that you would send one of these crisis responders to so he arrives on scene deputy herzog he approaches the guy he tries to subdue him he tries to do the de-escalation didn't work so he ends up using pepper spray now the pepper spray didn't do a thing in fact it probably only agitated this guy even more To the point where that man attacked the deputy, knocking his 40 caliber Glock 
to the pavement. Magazine dislodges. But the suspect then picks up the firearm, replaced the magazine. And as the deputy tried to retreat, the naked man shot him once. Now, having been shot, neutralized, he's on the ground. The suspect goes up to him, stands over him, and shoots him 10 more times. Hmm. Turns out that that suspect had been released from jail only 11 days earlier after serving a few months for assaulting a police officer. That's what we're sending social workers to. No one knows the true threat someone poses. You don't know what their background is. Oh, but he's naked. I mean, that's a crisis call. If we send a cop with, with the intent to, to make an arrest, oh, it's only going to make things worse. This is a guy who has a background, had a background of assaulting people. He was dangerous. When you call 911 in a circumstance like this, you obviously don't know who the person is. We are sending social workers to calls like that. We're sending social workers potentially to Charlena Lyles, who lied to get cops there and then tried to murder them. This is a program that is designed through an anti-police lens. Which is why they try to take policing completely out of policing. Now, programs that would work and are safe would be embedding the social worker with police. (sighs) Lots of crime going on. We'll send social workers. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? The drug crisis. Obviously, a big part of the crime surge that we're experiencing is directly tied to drug use. Drug selling, drug use out in public and up until recently really haven't been able to do anything, thankfully, because of pressure coming from the public. The Democrats in Olympia said, "Okay, fine, we'll go with a gross misdemeanor when it comes to public drug use. But how exactly will any of this be enforced? Joining me on the line to discuss Snohomish County is their sheriff, Adam Fortney. Welcome back to the show. Hey, great to be with you again. What is the policy as it relates to drug use? Uh, you summed it up pretty well. It's, it's actually, um, I, I, I was prepping for this interview, and it's extremely complicated when you sit down and read it, but uh, I'll try to cut through all of that. And it, it is. They made it a gross misdemeanor. I do support that. I, I think drugs should be against the law in the state of Washington. And, uh, you know, they're recommending that there can be a, up to 180-day sentence when it all goes through court, but they're recommending, you know, all sorts of, of drug courts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I supported that prior to all of this stuff. So, And actually, we've been doing that in Snohomish County for a long time so i support it it wasn't exactly what i wanted i can tell you that um, i think it's going to be a heavy lift on our district courts in Snohomish county to put all of the logistics in place to comply with this i think they'll pull it off i think they'll do it but it's going to be a lot of work for everybody how would it work if you know you catch someone smoking fentanyl on a park bench what do you do what's the process so let, let me i'm going to back up just a little bit but i'll be brief so uh, i, I want to be clear Snohomish county is kind of unique um, and for the last years that this has been, uh, drugs have basically been legal, like you said, in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. The Homish County Sheriff's Office never stopped enforcing the law, and I include myself in that. Your exact scenario, I actually arrested somebody smoking fentanyl on the inner urban trail. And why I was able to do that was because I found him in possession of drug paraphernalia once I saw him smoking the fentanyl. Now, 
the part I don't agree with this is they've pretty much done away with the drug paraphernalia law in the state of Washington. I think that should still be illegal. Um, so, but they gave us the other portion of that. So I got to be fair. I, I got to mm-hmm. be fair and objective with that. And so we will enforce it in Snohomish County. If we find somebody in possession, we will do basically what we've always done with that. They added the knowingly into there. Cause that's why I got thrown out in the Supreme Court. I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. So we will be enforcing it in Snohomish County. Now, it's not only about the arrests. At some point, the question becomes, will we see any prosecutions? And I, I don't know the answer to that. What, what have you been seeing across Snohomish County? Do, do you get the sense that, you know, because this is a, these are gross misdemeanors now, a, a city attorney is going to pursue the charges given the fact that, you know, they are trying to push people into diversion programs? I cannot speak for the prosecutor's office, so I want to be very clear about that. Um, I really like our elected prosecutor. We get along great, and I think he's doing good stuff. But do I think the, do I think as the sheriff that they can take on all these cases? No, I, I don't think they're going to be able to prosecute all of them. Um, if we have somebody that needs prosecution or needs some special attention, um, I think this prosecutor's office would be more than willing to do that. But mm-hmm. our district courts, they handle everything that's misdemeanor or gross misdemeanor, and that encompasses a large amount of crime. Um, and they focus on, and I don't, I don't disagree with this either, on domestic violence cases, which happen to be gross misdemeanor or DUI cases. Um, now, they handle a lot more than just that, but that is a focus. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when these drug crimes come up, sometimes they're not seen as that should be a priority over those two things. In theory, I don't disagree, but I think as a society, we need to be able to address all of the above. So very quickly, in the previous segment, I was talking about the new plan from Seattle, which will be to send out social workers to respond to some crisis calls without police by their side. These people would be unarmed. To me, it sounds like a horrible idea. What you guys are doing makes a lot more sense. Can you explain yeah, so what I didn't know Seattle was doing that. I thought that had been tried and failed already. That amazes me. It would be it is going to be an unmitigated disaster. Um I don't even know social workers that are for that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um it has been tried. In 2021 when the new laws passed, um we had some problems uh not even with us being on scene but not being able to use force. I, I don't want to get too complex in this short interview, but no, it's not what we're doing up here. We partner law enforcement with social workers and we won't stop doing that work. It's actually a fantastic partnership. The law enforcement is there, you know, as, as a resource to people on the streets, if they're, if they're addicted to drugs and we want those people to get help. We, you know, we have a long track record at Snohomish County of getting those people help and the partnership with the social workers, but sending social workers out on their own into some of these areas, um, with uh, the fentanyl crisis that is raging right now, it is just not a good idea, Jason. No, it really isn't. And this is the policy you get when you create it through an anti-police lens where you believe law enforcement, they're all the enemy, that they're not capable of handling anything on their own. And, you know, good luck to the social workers who take on this job. I hope they're getting paid a lot. Stonewish County Sheriff Adam Fortney, thank you so much. You got it, sir. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show, 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. Don't forget our friend Greg Nunn of None Better Tax Resolution. He is looking for folks who are dedicated tax specialists, dedicated to making sure that all of his clients are getting the best defense that they deserve. So if you're looking for a job and you're interested in working with 
the best local tax advocate. Go with none better tax resolution. Just Google N-U-N-N, none better tax resolution. He's hiring. We're back with more after this. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. You just heard it there in the promo. We'll have live coverage of the first Republican debate. It starts at 6 o'clock. We'll start our pre-debate analysis at 5 o'clock. We're excited. I'm excited to hear what the different candidates have to say. Also later this evening around 930 or so, maybe a little bit earlier than that, I'll be providing some post-debate coverage on Fox News. Uh, at least as far as the conversation evolves around, we'll see if it happens, but crime and criminal elements in, in a general sense, immigration reform as well. So I will be on and I hope you'll tune in. So it's un, it, it was unclear up until about an hour and a half ago or so whether or not the guy who bribed people with gift cards to donate to his campaign so he would actually qualify to be on the stage, Doug Burgum, former governor, whether or not he would actually be able to participate. Because apparently, and look up his age, I want to say he's in his mid-60s, uh, he should not have decided to play a pickup basketball game with his staff last night. Is that what he did? Yeah. Well, I hurt my knee playing pickup basketball. Yeah. He's 67. Yeah. So he's 67. He ends up hurting. They just said his leg. I'm assuming that means his knee or his ankle. <laughs> That's the only thing. Could be hip. He is really old. Yeah. But they said leg. When you say hip, I guess a hip's part of the leg. Uh, yeah. I guess. I feel like when we're talking about basketball or any sport and we say there's a leg injury, it's especially here's the hint. They said that he might not be able to do the debate because he might not be able to stand at a podium for two hours. And I was just devastated by this news. That to me means knee or ankle because it's not like a hamstring being pulled. You can stand with a hamstring injury. Yeah, I guess. You can't walk around and I mean, run around. Give him a, something to sit on? No, you can't. One it's of these for tall standing. Chin. It's standing. And he did just come out about 90 minutes ago. His team said he will participate. And so for those of you who are listening on the radio for the debate, this is what I want you to hear at any point during the debate. If this is what you hear, he fell over. Because <laughs> that's what I'm going to be waiting for. He's just like, you can't do it anymore. And then just. there The louder version, I think, worked better. Falls right over. The, theater well, of the mind. You know, theater of the mind. A, I'm just grabbing antacids. I'm assuming that. Belongs to Brian Suits, who left him in here. So uh, that would have been huge if he wasn't able to participate. And I lead with that only in the sense that tonight there's a lot on the line for most of these candidates. I, I was listening actually to Brian this morning, and he was pointing out that in a lot of ways, a debate can't make a candidate, but can definitely break one. And for the most part, I agree with that. I would say, though, when someone, quote unquote, breaks, you're helping the other person who's on the stage or the other people with you. But point taken, and I think it's very much a valid observation. But when you have these kinds of high caliber candidates, for the most part, all competing against the big dog who's not going to be there, 
well, then there is a lot on the line because just like that, you can create some momentum. You can be, if you're Ron DeSantis, who I would argue has the most to gain tonight and the most to lose, you know, if he has a great performance and we've never seen him tested at a national debate level, right? We've seen him at the debate stage in Florida, but it's different when you're talking directly to residents of your state versus the entire country. The messaging is going to be different, although he's going to, of course, want to highlight his successes. But the issue he's going to have is can he create enough momentum to end the narrative that his campaign is struggling? That he went through a couple of campaign managers, he's off message. Can he do enough? Because if he does, what ends up happening tomorrow is the narrative is going to be now Donald Trump has a real competitor. We didn't expect that this would happen, but he killed it up there on that stage. He exceeded everybody's expectations. And then you're going to have people like Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, who are immensely likable, great backstories. They have strong conservative principles, but they haven't up until this point really done much. They had high name recognition going in Nikki Haley a little bit more than Tim Scott, but this is one of those times where they can actually define their campaigns on the national stage. A lot of these candidates have been focused near exclusively on the early contest states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Really, we're talking about Iowa and New Hampshire at this point. But they haven't really been connecting to the national level because they've always had to, had to compete with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not going to be there. Now, you'll feel his presence. Right. They're undoubtedly going to talk about him, but I don't think they're going to make it exclusively about him. I think they're going to make the case that they like Donald Trump and his policies, but he's unelectable. I am electable and I vow to you, the MAGA supporter, the conservative, the moderate who's concerned about the politicization of the criminal justice system. We're going to pardon him. And by the way, we're going to go into the DOJ and we're going to pull out every single swamp creature. We're going to pull out every single corrupt bureaucrat. That could be a winning message. And I know that people don't want to acknowledge that. But anyone who's pretending it's going to be easy for Donald Trump is fooling themselves. Do I think he's the better candidate between himself and Joe Biden? Of course. Do I think he ultimately would win? Yes, I do. But I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it's easier with a candidate who could be on that stage tonight, who sends the right message, says the right things, doesn't alienate too many folks on the left because abortion's going to come up and some of them are going to struggle. The American people clearly, according to the polls, do not want a full-on ban. They don't want that. They want reasonable restrictions. And we can, you know, wordsmith what that means what what that looks like 15 to 20 weeks seems to be the consensus 15 actually seems to be the consensus according to the polls but you've got some people on that stage who don't believe that right now every single candidate every single one with the exception of donald trump has to appeal to the republican base and they of course the base on both sides of the aisle lean more to the extremes than the middle right so you got to win them over. 
But you can't alienate the middle. You can't alienate the moderates. And you can't alienate moderate Democrats because you need some of them. You need all the Republicans on your side. And you got to pick up those independents. Generally, during the general election, you have to moderate your stances a bit. You can't moderate certain positions around abortion, for example. You can't moderate, quote unquote, certain positions around guns, gun rights. And that's an issue more on the left than it is on the right. Because we have reasonable positions. They don't. They want to ban. So we'll see what ends up happening tonight at 6 o'clock. And again, we'll be carrying it live. I hope you'll tune in. We've got it on the app, of course. We're going to send you an alert once we get started. So for those of you who forget, that's one reason to get the app. There was something that happened yesterday that is causing... Two separate lanes of controversy, and it involves the Trump team. They were having a dinner party, a get-together at a fancy steakhouse called Rare, which is a very lazy title for a steakhouse. Because, by the way, I don't want it rare. It's medium medium. rare. It's medium is what you're supposed to get. So you want the place to be called medium? Yeah, just medium. Okay, like, like that, that NBC show from back in the day? Yeah, I mean, slightly different. I mean, maybe they'll tell the future and say, well, we got a ghost in the room. Uh, my, your, your dead mother says, eat your steak and your vegetables. But they were doing this with members of the press. And Politico reported today that in addition to meeting with these various reporters, including Dana Bash from CNN, Kristen Welker from NBC, Finn Gomez from I'm going to pretend I know Dasha Burns. She's ABC. So actually some bigger names along with the Trump campaign or the Trump team. And it caught a lot of flack from folks on the left and the right. So, for example, conservative Dan McLaughlin on Twitter said on the same team. Another one. Fred Wellman, who is far to the left, just national political reporters hanging with their buddy, Jason Miller of Team Trump, at a high-end steakhouse having some laughs. Ha, 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 ha. The political press is absolutely bleeping us. So, and I've got a whole bunch of different responses. And as much as I think it's a bad look, I don't think it's scandalous. Uh, Reporters hang out with politicians all the time, and... As much as you can say uh, there's a conflict that they're being wined and dined for influence, and certainly I think that's the intent. You might also get reporters there who play along because it can get them a story, it could develop better relationships, which means more news items get leaked to them. That it's not, this is not something new. It's generally not publicized as much as this one is, but it's not new. For me, what I thought was more telling was that the Trump campaign passed out these sort of bingo cards that apply to tonight's debate. And it only goes after Ron DeSantis. And so every time he does something on the bingo card, you, you know, you put it doesn't really make sense because then everyone wins at one point. There's no first time winner because it's the same exact card. But the little squares include dismisses polls, wipes snot. I'm not sure where that one came. I'm assuming I just missed that story. Um, If he says DeSantis, they made a joke about how he pronounces his name. Flip-flops on Social Security again, says woke. But one was 
defend slavery. And also folks on the right call this out. I'm like, okay, man, I get that trolling is part of the game, but that is just, you are now engaging in what the far left is engaging in. And that's just wrong. I get that you guys don't like him and obviously you're competitors, but why are we leaning into these silly, unfair, and frankly, sleazy smears that the left engages in? And I saw this first this morning, not in Politico, but Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted out the the bingo card. I'm like, wow, who knew Marjorie Taylor Greene was going to be on the exact same side and use the exact same talking point as Pramila Jayapal? Like, they're so polar opposites, except they're smearing uh, Ron DeSantis in such a dishonest way. 1-800-465-877. If you want to send me a text, you are listening to The Jason Rancho. Welcome back to The Jason Rants Show. What people don't realize about me, I'm a true romantic at heart. I love it. My favorite movie, you know what it is? Uh, the Notebook. The Notebook. Favorite movie. It gets me all the time. They were just so in love. And then, as I recall, she get, did she get Alzheimer's? What was it? I can't remember. I never finished the movie. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but other than that, it's my favorite movie. Because I am really in touch with my emotions. And it's not just jealousy and seething anger that I experience. And so when I saw this next story... It caught my attention because I thought how sweet this was. And if I'm ever in a serious relationship with someone other than myself, I will do something similar when I'm ready to propose, which is bring them on the show and then just pop the question. Because what I know deep down in my heart is that every single person who's listening or if this were on TV who were watching cares about everything that I do in my life. And I'm happy to take time out of a show to give you information and entertainment to selfishly focus on myself and my future love. But other than that, I think it's a great idea. This happened at WRCB in some city that is not mentioned. What city is that? Somewhere in Tennessee. Somewhere in Tennessee. There's a news anchor by the name of Cornelia Nicholson. And during her broadcast... She was fooled into doing some kind of story around romance with her boyfriend. And she wasn't expecting what happened. And it was so sweet. And coming up right now, we have the story of two young journalists who just so happened to find love in the same industry. Local 3's Riley Nagel joins us in the studio with a special report. So she already knows something's off. They didn't tell her this was happening. They just kind of gave her the script like Ron Burgundy. She just reads what's in front of her. That is right, Cornelia. I do have a very special report. And you can tell that this is a low-level news station by his voice. <laughs> you literally can. It's, it's so really funny. funny. It's Chattanooga. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, for people at home who maybe don't know. N- no one knows what you're about to tell them because you guys are in a relationship. No one knows. Just throwing that out there. No one knows. No one cares. Cornelia and I met in news back in Montana at our news station almost four years ago. Really working their way up from Montana to Tennessee. And uh, when I first met you. It's got flowers. I uh, was very drawn to you. 
and you have such an amazing personality. And yeah, I'm sure that's what drew you to her. When someone says, I'm drawn to you, the moment I saw you, I'm drawn to you. You're talking about something physical. Right? I guess. That's the first. And it's okay. A, you why don't do have people, to be so cynical about it. Why all do of people it? have to pretend that that's not even a part of it? I don't think he said that. Mm. He didn't call her ugly. Mm. You're so bright and you always light up the room when oh you come in and make God. everyone laugh. And you're incredibly talented, oh. especially in news. I think anyone. Yeah, that's why she's stuck in Chattanooga. Anyone who watches you knows that. And uh, you're one of the reasons, or pretty much the main reason I'm still in news today. Wait, is it one of the reasons or the main re- What's going on? The only, the main, what's He's going on? He's story. He, he switched it up in the middle because he was like, you know what? If I really got to close this deal, I better really just lean in. I mean, like the paycheck and the fact that I have no other skills that I can apply to any other job or in any other industry, that also played a little bit of a role. But other than that, you're the only reason that I'm still doing this job. And you're always pushing me to be better. Because you're not very good. And in news and in other aspects of my life. Oh, really? What else are you really bad at that you need to help with? You want her to marry you? You're saying that I'm a horrible person unless you coach me. It seems like a chore. What kind of relationship is that? It's a chore. And I thought it'd be fitting to ask you this question here since we met in news. Oh, my God. You know, let's wrap this up, man. We've got a hard break coming up, okay? we got to get to traffic and weather on the 10s, and you're still doing this. We're already a minute in. You said you were only going to take 30 seconds, but now you're just going on and on and on. Cornelia Nicholson. And that's it, and then it ended. And then they had breaking news that there was a terrible tragedy that they had to. What if that happened? Do you think, here's a legitimate question, and then we'll finish the audio. If there was, God forbid, like a horrible tragedy that occurred, how long do you postpone this stunt? A week? A day? Do you do it in the same newscast, but you wait until after? Like, And we buried 13 uh, so-and-so today. It was a, a bus filled with orphaned kittens. And they all, like, at what point do you say to yourself, I'm, I'm going to maybe step back a little bit and we'll wait till next week? You definitely had to pick a light news day, but that's right? also hard to determine well, too point. far in advance. I wonder how many times he was there waiting in the wings. He's like, no, I can't do it tonight. We just did the story about a murder. I can't, I'm not going to follow that up. <laughs> She's crying, actually, not I'm laughing. Crying. See? Would you She's marry crying. me? So angry that she did this I'm to her. Cry. Are you okay? <laughs> no, she's not. She's disturbed. Yeah. I got to put it on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what do you think? She's going to do all the work now? <laughs> He's putting on the ring. It's a decent ring. And now no one's saying anything. The director's like, come on, I love you too. Come here. <laughs> that was inappropriate. How many FCC complaints do you think they got for that? Mouth-on-mouth kiss. What, so it, does she finish the segment? She was the lone anchor at the desk. <laughs> they didn't show how, does she toss it to break? Like, how does that work? I'm the worst person. We know that. Period. But also in this context to see a clip like this, because the only thing that goes through my mind are the practical questions like that. Like what happened afterwards? Did we actually have a hard break? Was this a floating break? Meaning you can go a little bit long if you need to. Like, what's happening next? Is, is she going to call for traffic? 
Does she say, we'll be right Does back? Does some other anchor have to step in? or Is she going to be okay to finish the broadcast? Because I don't think this was at the end of the broadcast. At least it didn't seem like it was at the end of the broadcast. Is she going to be in the right headspace? Or is she going to be, you know, on cloud nine the entire time when she's talking about the bus filled with orphan kittens? Why they're on a bus, I don't know. And it was a school bus, too. Which is all these little kittens. And it was driven by a kitten. All of whom, all of whom lived to the age of 112, and the reason why they had, uh, they they drank a glass of Dr Pepper every single day, each one of those little cats. I said kittens, but I was wrong. It's a cat. Otherwise, it wouldn't really fit into my. But other than that, I'm sure they're going to last for a very long time, or at least until he gets offered a job in Tucson, and then he's going to have to choose (laughs) between staying in Chattanooga or starting a new life. In a much better market of Tucson. <laughs> I'm so mean. 1-800-465-8770 for your text.